0: Welcome to the Thinking Classroom podcast with me, Mike Fleetham. This time, I'm talking to Jordan McNamara, who is an ex teacher and software instructor and coach.
1: And Mike, we first met when I was teaching. Uh, you came into my classroom and, uh, <laughs> yeah, helped me, helped me on my path with teaching. So uh...
0: I did. I did get an invite as well, wasn't it? I just didn't go. oh uh, barge. <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> Who's this guy? Uh, primarily I've always been fascinated with technology and always been fascinated with education. So this is, uh, this is where my heart's lie.
0: There was the 10 word lesson that I saw you doing when you were classroom based. And I was always intrigued about where that, that came from. I mean, it was such an amazing thing to see because you could basically rock up at the start of the lesson, issue these 10 words. And then your students would just begin to learn. You basically just pressed go and, and, and away they went. I mean, well, Find out exactly what the ten words were in a moment, but you know where did that come from? What caused you to be able to think like that and teach like that?
1: Uh, I would say because I think back to when we met, and you—I don't know if you recall all of it—but you were asked to deliver a lesson. I don't know if you remember the lesson, but you took our vocabulary list and you wrote it on the board, and you were very theatrical about the order.
0: Okay. And the—it's coming back to me.
1: Once we had the order, the children were trying to guess the order, and I had a, a pupil at the front who just looked at you and said, there is no order. And I was watching, observing from the back of the room and remember thinking, like, okay, well, the game's up here. Okay, you got me. Uh, but it didn't end... Th- this is where I, like, I, I really clicked. I like, it didn't end there. You said... You didn't actually address that. You said, you know, there's a philosopher named Nietzsche who argues, you know, nothing has... Or whatever, nothing has meaning or something. And not only did the lesson continue for the other children but that child i i swear he carried that around for the rest of the year like it was that to have that much impact (laughs) that quick you you just gave him that moniker or that badge or something right me and nietzsche here were both great thinkers and i watched that and i remember thinking okay that's what i'm doing here that's what (laughs) that's that's the goal um
0: yeah i remember that that lesson it's coming back to me now it was very much saying this list of spellings or this list of words you have to learn are in the wrong order or, or what is the order here there wasn't an order but the process of trying to find an order was whether the hard work and the thinking went on I think that that's what you're referring to yes that
1: yeah it was yeah. again you were very theatrical that there was an order but what it allowed you to do I think is is let them search for you know it's the searching you were trying to elicit uh, in mm-hmm. order to get them there I think maybe you had to be performative and say there is an order here if you had yeah, just sort of yeah. written the words down they wouldn't have been as invested uh so i looked at that lesson and i started looking at everything a bit differently like that so i started doing math lessons where i would on friday i would would not have the answers and they would come to me with problem solving friday and they would not have the answers and the children would race up with the answer and say is this right and i'd say i I don't know and they would say what do you mean i don't know and i would say i I haven't had time to look at the answers yet and then there was that panic of like well what do we do and i would say well well you you say you're done and you say you're done why don't you guys see if you got the same answer And it took about a month of that to get them to realize that I wasn't the one carrying the answer. I wasn't the arbiter of correct here. Uh, And it was a bit of training. And I think that was the headspace I was in when I just said, like, you know, okay, we have to do the order of the planets. What do I do? And I don't know. I guess that's how I approached it. Why, Why am I overthinking this? Let them do it. I mean, it wasn't as if I was a sort of last minute, obviously. It was more of a, I think this this sort of does what I need it to do. And I think it carried a lot of weight. It uh, had a lot of legs to it. And um, yeah, that was a process to get to that 10 words, I suppose. If I tried to explain that whole process, it would be like, your job is to get everything in place for that perfect lesson. And then if everything, it's like a domino thing. If you do it just right, you step back.
0: Mm, yeah, I, really nice to go back in time. See the genesis of that idea, the phrase arbiter of correct I like that for the the moment you know me as a teacher I'm not the arbiter of correct but the activity that you created there what's the best way to order x and y is an amazing one if the children have the skill set to engage with that because there's a whole bunch of skills needed for your teacher just to come into your lesson and say what's the best way to order these 10 words and why what's the best way to order these 10 planets and why what's the best way to order these these 10 artists you know these 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 10 numbers and and why you know that got me thinking do we expect those skills to be there hope they're there so that the children can eventually do this or is there a piece where we should be specifically teaching these kind of skills so that they're matching i don't know the kind of people that that you're training now jordan the the kind of skills that they would need should that be starting in primary school
1: Uh, that's yeah more than fair to say uh it has been a nice perspective for me. I can draw an almost straight line to some of these skills, and then uh, so just for, for the context. Now I'm training software engineers uh, at an apprenticeship level, and uh, it, there's a lot there, and there's there's a lot of ambiguity in what they do. Um, not just for the apprentice, but I'm working with multiple different companies who have multiple different tech stacks. Uh, there, if you wanted an amb- ambiguous set of knowledge you couldn't ask for a better one than tech right now because uh everybody is coming up with different solutions to the same problem there what is the best way to do something there isn't ever a set answer for that so we're asking these apprentices right now to go into a new team in a new environment and they have to orient themselves uh, and it, that in itself is of its skill and the team they might be going into might not be fully oriented because they might be picking up a new tech or they might be re- responding to a need in the market uh there is a a direct line between what we were doing in in, year six uh, (laughs) to, you know, you're a professional software engineer.
0: Soft skills is the phrase that has been used. But you introduced me um, a couple of days ago to probably the successor of that phrase, which is durable skills. And the idea there being that there are skills that are enduring from your school days into your university days, possibly, and into your career, your first job second job, first career, second career, and they endure across your your working life. In that situation with the young software engineers in the teams, what kind of skills are you finding that they need there?
1: It's a very collaborative affair. So ironically, we're actually getting away from the code. You know, the code is there and there's plenty of free resources for the code. But I've now found that uh, I'm not trying to solve the ability to pick up the coding. I'm actually solving the underlying problem of... Why are we using the coding? How are we going into these environments and working with the teams that you'll be working with? How do we collaborate effectively? Um, There's there's so much more in there that makes a successful developer than somebody who can write a clever bit of code. And even, just to put a fine point on that, even the best coder in the world, they'll, they'll move on and their code exists behind them. So if your code is so tightly knit and clever and fantastic that nobody else can read it, even then it'll fail fail because people will inevitably write around it or, you know, mistake it. It's just another opportunity to write errors. So the idea mm. to communicate effectively through your code is crucial.
0: Mm. I mean you're saying there that you're focusing on that the why for those coders and the how and potentially they're getting caught in the in just the what of coding. And this is the idea of being able to communicate through your code. Um, but the how you write your code allows it to communicate more effectively. I, I'm, I'm wondering whether that is what we need to think about, because education, especially in the UK at the moment, appears to be very what-focused, very granular curricular expectations. And it's like the the how and the why takes second and third place in that discussion and in that enactment of an education system. And I've been looking at ways in which we can look at the how, the how being the skills. And, I mean, you pointed me to, to the durable skills and and I found the source of that is an organization in the States called America Succeeds. So I love I love something like that. It basically sets its vision statement and and what it's about in the name. America Succeeds, you know what that's about. But the concept there called durable skills and there's a list of skills that they call durable. But there's also many other organizations that will set a list of skills and even dispositions and characteristics that are necessary or they believe are necessary for the 21st century. As you say, straight line from school into work. There's now McKinsey has researched skills that are needed for the future of work, and they've got 56. I mean, we we could do a reading of them if you like. Shall, shall I read them out? How long have you got? Here we go. We've got interpe- <laughs> like four four categories here: cognitive, interpersonal, self leadership, and digital. And under each one, there's there's categories and subcategories. So we got planning and ways of working, work plan development, time management, and prioritisation. Agile thinking, ability to learn, mental flexibility, creativity and imagination, translating an inspiring vision, organisational awareness, and, you know, it goes on. And then there's finally the World Economic Forum with their their top ten skills that they deem will be necessary to function globally in 2025. I have this theory, Jordan, that when we first met and I saw you teach, you were actually doing that.
1: Uh, you, you did say something to me um, before we parted ways, so I, d- I did take a bit of gap from education, but um, and I have a lot of ideas left over, and I would say you were a huge influence on those, but you did say something to me that stuck with me, and it was that I created these lessons, uh, the 10-word lesson being an example, where uh, and I th- if I have to think back, I think it was nine, and I had to add a please, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To make but it I'll double-check that. Yeah. Uh <laughs> So um, the idea behind that is, you know, there's a pressure on me there. You know, is that all I'm, Is that all the value I'm bringing? Um, you know, where's my visible, visible contribution to that? And you had pointed out, I had a few lessons that were similar in, in nature to this. You had pointed out that, you, you know, you said, Jordan, you, I think you're doing yourself a, a very large disservice here because t- I go into classrooms all over the place and that doesn't happen It doesn't happen right away, and I think that you've spent a lot of time investing in those lesson types and those skills needed to be successful. Uh, And I reflect on that a lot now because yeah, you have to be conscious to say, how early can you uh, chuck somebody out into the wild uh, of of thought and expect them to survive? You know, you want to make sure that you you're finding that balance, that you're creating the right environment for them, Uh, but at the same time, almost hiding. Hiding that environment, Uh, it's a really delicate balance, and yeah, that that's kind of where I left off with it. I think it was just you pointing that out to me that the effort comes, large effort is unseen, I suppose, um, if that makes any sense.
0: So it does. you created an environment and a skill set in your children anyway, and a disposition set to do that activity already. I still struggle though with squaring this off with facts, opinions. Things children need to know and to be able to remember. I mean, we value that just as much, and I quite often get caught in the middle between this, its skills or knowledge. Of course, the the reconciliation of that is is both. But what what would we say if people are going? Yeah, it's all very well giving you know kids these skills that they may or may not need in the future, but they actually I need to, you know, have something for these skills to work on. The, you know, the reason I'm so pleased to reconnect back with you, Jordan, is that you are now having been a you know a master teacher you've gone into an environment where you're seeing what is needed you're you're working with students I think who have come out of the education system and you're seeing either what the strength or the deficit is for them so I guess I guess the question is for you at the moment balance between knowledge and skills and balance between what's provided at school and and the catch-up that you are having to do
1: to frame it i suppose with what i'm doing now you're asking teachers to do something that is not possible i suppose uh, in terms of the underlying skills and that that's a bit of a <laughs> oversimplification but if mm. you look at a framework or javascript framework like react it was it was released in 2014 and i've been exploring this idea of what becomes uh, expertise i suppose and when you have, you're talking about expertise in something that has only been around for nine years at this point, there isn't a lot of expertise. We haven't really explored it. And if you go back to something like, I don't know, Newton, <laughs> there, there's been plenty of times to iterate over this idea. So there is something underneath. There's that structure that we can teach. And if you look at traditional education, I think that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been building on this these slow iterations that no longer works. And to put a teacher in a room and ask them to do that when, uh, you know, I am i would say I'm really close to the forefront. Uh, and even still, I can't develop a curriculum without it changing in six months.
0: So you're kind of saying that the knowledge that students are going to have to engage with maybe isn't even around at the time they're in school.
1: Exactly. Very, very close to We don't know what it would look like. And i think i got around that uh whatever you want to call it cognitive dissonance i was very aware of being asked to teach these are really th- important things that we need to know knowing that maybe they weren't i don't know i don't have the certainty to tell you this but what i was i guess my escape hatch on that was my ability to say this is what we'll be practicing this skill on uh, almost as if you know, you're becoming a wood carver. Uh, you don't look at that piece of wood as the thing, right? You'll, there'll be another one after that, and another one after that. But you're actually practicing engaging with the carving, uh, and you don't know what you're carving ten years from now. That doesn't necessarily matter. It's it's the skill, and we need the the commodity. You know, <laughs> the underlying resources are what are the what are the planets? What are the order of the planets? That could be anything, really. Uh, we could change the curriculum overnight, and still be in a position to teach children the skills that they need.
0: Got you. So we could argue that there are some very basic things that they'll need, obviously, the, the knowledge or the skill of how how to read, you know, basic numeracy, functional skills. But after that, the world is changing so quickly and the knowledge is developing so fast that the job they're like to find themselves in, the knowledge isn't there yet. So they need the skills to be able to apply to that when they when they reach it. Is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, yeah, again, there are... I think timestables tables is the thing that jumped into my head when you said that there are underlying things that we sort of will, we will need to know uh, that that fully holds up. But um, I, I guess uh, so. I, I'm a parent of two. And, you know, we have these conversations when you have a two year old or a three year old thinking about, will they be able to do the next thing? Uh, and mm-hmm. what I try to remind myself is, will this be a problem when they're 18 years old? Uh, so when you're wrestling with, are they potty training? And there's a lot of pressure I found being a parent to say, you know, they're three, they should already be potty trained, or maybe they don't do it until they're five. And if you take a step back and say, look, they're 18 now, why were we ever worried about potty training? So some children pick up reading later than others. And we can certainly, we want to create, what I'd like to do is create that love and that environment of reading. I think reading is, is tops on my list now, particularly as developers, uh, I tell them, you should be reading all of the time. Um, but if you think about what reading actually is, it's it's the ability to share different ideas. And yes, we need to learn the rules of the road in so much that we need to know the grammar, and we need to know how you know the, the basics of math work. But I get less stressed about those than I, than I might otherwise have been done in the past because I have this long-term vision. Uh, if, I'm not sure you were around for those lessons, but I used to talk about Math Mountain in my class.
0: Missed, then... I missed that one, well, no. no I, do, I, do, I do remember being around for the ones where you'd um, set up the uh, kind of ghost stock market portfolios oh, yes, for yeah, your yeah. kids, and they had um, imaginary money to invest, and that, yeah. that was part of the maths, wasn't it? That was amazing to see that.
1: Yeah, I never heard. The one person, I think, who, uh, who came running into the classroom the day after the vote for Brexit saying, I could have made a fortune shorting the pound. I thought, well, okay, well, that, that That's to me good. is a
0: successful lesson, right? This is someone who is is ten years old. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Amazing. seeing yeah. See opportunity in in uh, what might not always be seen as such. Uh, no, math mountain was an idea of I'm also on going up the math mountain. You know, if you hold somebody like uh, Einstein or Newton, you know, the big thinkers, they're at the top of the mountain and they're still climbing. Um, so we're all on this process. So don't get stuck up on the fact that you're you know there's this one step you can't get over right now. You'll get better. You'll get stronger. You'll, you know, and you'll get up to the next bit of the mountain. And I'm also there doing the same thing you are. It's uh, that life of learning sort of model. And if you get too focused in the day-to-day of that, it's, I found this particularly now with software engineering, it's so easy to let yourself do that. So part of my job as a coach and an instructor is to almost pull them up out of the muck every once in a while and just say, hey, look how far you've come.
0: You've done two things there, which I think could help solve this problem, and get children more skilled, ready for the world, the world of work. The first was, you know, you talked about the vision. How far in the future are we able to look? And the second was to have a metaphor, the maths mountain, and say everyone's on it, moving different speeds, different areas, maybe taking a rest now and again. But you know, the best mathematician is on that. Those who love it and are learning particular things are remembering memory in different parts of it. But maybe that's, maybe that's the thing, that is there the opportunity to actually pause and look 10, 20 years ahead why are we doing this in the classroom now? Will it be relevant when these children are our age? This, maybe that's it—the the, the ability to look ahead is missing.
1: The ability, maybe the space. Yeah, like yeah. when you when you're yeah. dealing with quarterly metrics, uh, you know, you're you're in the business world or you're dealing with your your Sats results. Um, we're not afforded that opportunity to tell the longer story that might otherwise be. It's it's hard to do, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Um, I think we need to have those those early metrics. Uh, you've introduced me to a phrase was the lead and lag indicators, right? We want sure, to yeah, be able yeah. to identify these things. It's just, I suppose, when those metrics become, for lack of a better term, uh, punitive or,
0: or cumbersome. The, the lag indicator is like the exam score at the end because it's yes. lagging the activities that cause it to happen. And the lead indicator is measuring quite, quite often, actually, the activities and teaching, learning, interventions or whatever that will cause the final result. So it's you, basically, you're, you're on it and you can see the number of, you know, effective literacy lessons that are gonna to contribute to the ability to get a final score at the end, rather than waiting for the final score to end, the lag measure and thinking, oh, I should have done something about that that earlier.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and just, yeah. just to throw this into the mix to make it even more complicated, uh, I think those leading indicators can and should be different for every single person you're trying to teach. So currently I'm looking at delivering to a hundred plus people and I'm, at, you know, the way I'm approaching it now is to reach out to every one of them and say, this only works as a conversation. So I need you to identify what you find valuable. I can't stand up here and deliver, you know, one thing to hundred people and expect all of you to find value. I need you to be proactive here. Um, which I guess brings us back to those, Those skills we were talking about, if you don't have the ability to communicate that to me or even identify that for yourself to communicate that to me, then uh, I'm already losing before I've even started. So then I'm relying on my lag indicators because nobody's feeding back up my leading indicators.
0: No, I think that's a, a common theme across the three skill sets I mentioned here from the McKinsey, Durable Skills from America Succeeds and the World Economic Forum, just by reflecting on those skills and whether you have or haven't got them or whether you need to develop them, you're automatically thinking about you as a learner and having a list of skills in front of you causes you to reflect on your ability to learn. So maybe it doesn't matter which list, it's just there needs to be a list there so that students can then, when they end up, you know, in a in a Zoom call, learning with the 99 other people with you, <laughs> facilitating them, whether they can answer that question you've asked them.
1: You did send me these... Uh... And I was having a read over them uh, because I, somehow you send me resources that are just perfectly targeted without really realizing it. Um, so this is one of these things. Do You have a way of just dropping these uh, little thought thought bombs for
0: me. That's p- purely uh, unintentional, and I will, <laughs> I will I will try not to try to do that because I'm sure if I try to do it, it will be completely misfired. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: don't don't change a thing. Uh, but I'm looking at that list and thinking, you know, if I were in a, a mic lesson here, what might that look like? And it would be something around reorganizing. These. How might I even approach reorganizing these? Because this is some, as you said, there needs to be indicators, but they don't have to be these ones or they, maybe they're different. Right. Uh And I, I tried to do it and I was looking at this about around the idea of active and passive. You know, if, if you could address each skill as how active are you about it or how passive you are. Uh, and I think of that traditional model of teaching. Uh, and that's something that, that, I kind of realized early on in my teaching was that I'd spend 10 minutes delivering and then I would say any questions and then all the hands would go up because not because they had actual questions it's because they hadn't bothered to listen because I wasn't engaging enough. So uh, looking at that flipped model, you know, if if I just spoke for 10 minutes, why didn't I just record that? (laughs) So I looked at that model of input and said, that's very passive for them and very active for me. And we need to reverse that. Uh, So that 10 word lesson is, you know, I told my class about that problem um, and said, look, I feel like you need to do more, uh, I need to do less, and here's why. And so I started putting a timer on myself for those inputs, which is, you know, the five part lesson. You got to have the input. I started putting a timer on myself. And firstly, I think that was good for me anyway, just to challenge myself. Um, Secondly, it, it had this weird side effect of the time being a resource. So I ran out of time. Six minutes were up. I was done, and yeah, then the, yeah. I had to the, negotiate with my class. I said, "You can have one more minute." <laughs> uh, you know, all of a sudden, where they weren't yeah. listening, and then when I stopped, the hands went up. Now it was like, "No, this is this is part of it, and I need to be engaged." So, just there's something in and around all of this to me that says, "Are you being active about it, or are you being passive about it?"
0: And that's a question you're asking of yourself and of your learners. So, where where does where's the kind of locus of activity rest? Is it is it more towards you, or is it more towards them? And, and where where should it be? Is is that what you're saying? It's kind of think exactly about both that. of you. Yeah. Okay.
1: I struggle with where do I stop because I want to be supportive and I want I you know there has to be a bit of that. Uh, I'm sure every teacher has this question: How much am I scaffolding, and how much am I just uh, maybe enabling that that passive behavior? Yeah, uh, yeah. I want to find that balance where you know I'm there as a as a guide or a resource. Again, I'm not the arbiter of fact or correct. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. just, maybe I'm just a, a shop along the way where <laughs> they can buy the resources they need.
0: Jordan, I think as, as we finish up here, I'd like to maybe get your opinion on what might be the top skills that children would need to develop now so that they can be most prepared for the kind of futures that I guess you're creating now with with your learners I've got these three lists in front of me and there's there's probably nearly, you know, 70 or 80 possible candidates here. Anything from, you know, creativity, originality and initiative to on the McKinsey list, here, digital literacy, digital learning, a whole bunch of wonderful things that these organisations think are going to prepare our kids. But let's say, let's say for sake of argument, you were only allowed three. No preparation. No, I'm not going to give no. it to you. That's the problem. You're putting me in a box <laughs> and I'm not...
1: immediately trying to break out of it because uh, I've, <laughs> <That's>... I've, <been, laughs> I've been looking at this idea. Um... Good.
0: you passed. You passed the test. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm not answering that question. Is the right answer. <laughs> uh... <laughs> oh,
1: because boy. I look at these, I think they're phenomenal. Um, but I think the trap that I, I find myself sort of getting into is uh, there's 56 of these I need to get all of them. And I've been exploring this idea of having a clustering of, of profiles of people. Uh, some people nobody's going to have all 56 of these, but that doesn't hmm. mean to say that somebody who has these, this half or this third, or they're going to find ways to be successful. We all find those those things, um, and I think this is something we look at at my company currently: is diversity as a strength. People are going to have different skill sets. If you look at that list, um, some of them are predominant already at, at sort of CEO level positions, um, and some of them aren't. And I think the idea of Maybe having this diversity of skill sets uh, even then builds in some of those things that we're not getting at, at the, the highest level. Uh, but if I were to look again, the ones that jump out at me is the ability to deal with ambiguity. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Is always a very in, good indicator for me of, okay, like th- we need to have a conversation here. If you can't deal with ambiguity, and particularly in software engineering, I think you're going to struggle. Uh, we're in an industry where your primary objective is to solve problems. And it's not as if you can go off the shelf and find a solution to that problem. If if you if that existed, you wouldn't have a job. So you just live in ambiguity. Um, you know, quite facetiously, my job as a software engineer would be going from problem to problem to problem constantly feeling bad about myself <laughs> <laughs> oh you know trying to solve something yeah. you, so the wins are quick and then you're on off to the next thing so um yeah. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give you three i can't do it
0: no i think that's good and you, yeah you you've called me out there quite rightly because the risk here is that we bring a kind of traditional curriculum thinking onto just another set of content the risk here is with mckinsey 56 um you know durable skills from america succeeds as a probably 10, 12 there. World Economic Forum another ten. The risk is we make that the curriculum, and everyone has to be good at all of them, and we teach them formally. Um, there's a risk that we make this just another. We make sk- We make skills a subject.
1: But- yes, and I discussed this idea with you uh, previously. It was interleaving or, or intermixed learning. Is if you do something in a rigid format, it then becomes rigid in itself, and you don't get. You know, you want to be able to arrive at that point from multiple angles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, if if there's only one road into town. Um, you can envision the problem there, right? So the way that the brain works and the way that we work, I think, in communication is we have multiple hubs of connection. So we need multiple ways to arrive at the destination. And yeah, we're always at risk of trying to overly formalize those things to make it digestible and teachable. And this, I guess, back to a, a previous point is that's the real difficulty of teaching, I find, is not letting yourself become too rigid not letting your, you know you want to get that pattern of yeah, behavior down because yeah. it helps you um, but
0: do you, always do you know what we of... should do? what we should do here what's the there's a bit of homework for, for you and me and anyone listening what's the what's the best way to organize these 56 skills and why <laughs> i did think of that yeah <laughs> you've got an hour yeah yeah that's brilliant Jordan McNamara, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today about durable skills and to share some of your wonderful practice, both when you were classroom-based and now you are software-based, I guess. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, Thank you for now. And obviously, I think I said a few times, thank you for being an inspiration in the past. Um, You definitely nudged me in, in a direction I'm happy I found myself in.